Today on the Be Sexy Plants podcast, we have Simon Hill. Simon is a nutritionist, a physiotherapist. He's the founder of this amazing popular blog and podcast, actually, Plant Proof. He's an author also of The Proof in the Plants, a signed-backed book on how plant-based eating can save your life. In 2019, he opened the plant-based restaurant Eden in Sydney which I would love to visit. Uh, Simon is dedicated to studying the best process of how to fuel your body to promote longevity, reduce the chance of developing diseases and having a plant-based lifestyle with that. Simon has been interviewed on today's show, has written many, many popular articles on nutrition for various media outlets, including Nourish Magazine, Men's Health, Sydney Morning Herald. Simon, absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, welcome to Be Sexy Plants. Thank you, guys. Big fans of what you do. So very grateful, very grateful to be here to uh, have this opportunity to connect with you guys and hopefully uh, provide some value for your listeners. Yeah, and we're in the US waiting for your book. I heard it's coming here in November, so we're all patiently waiting and we're still going to dive and talk a little bit about it today, but for everyone listening, it's going to be in November. But um, to get started... Yeah, tell us, yeah. tell us, Simon, your story... Right. It was not always plant-based. It was not always uh, the, and, and with people who could see you right now, uh, you look incredibly strong and fit. Um, it was not always like this. Tell us a little how you got started on, on your journey. No, you're right. I uh, wasn't always a plant eater. Actually, I hated vegetables for a long time there, <laughs> uh, which does surprise people. Yeah. Uh, so for me, my story really goes back to when I was a, a child and, and there was a, a day in particular, a moment in my life where a seed was planted, which would then sometime later inspire me to look very closely at what I was doing, how I was living my life and, and really determine whether I should make some changes to improve my health or improve the number of years I could live in good health. Mm. And so I grew up in Melbourne, uh, as you guys are, have been to Australia. We were just talking about it. Melbourne is is the one of the larger cities behind Sydney in Australia. It's uh, in the southeast part of Melbourne uh, of, of Australia, and we we grew up in the city, but we also had a, a country home. And on the weekends, my dad and my brother and I would often go and explore this area and visit wineries and just enjoy time together. And on one particular weekend when I was 15 years old, it was just my dad and I, and we were driving around. And I think anyone listening has those memories of, of those special time spent with their parents or with an uncle or with someone in their life that was a sort of parent figure. Mm. And so, so people will be able to relate to these days. And this was one of those. And we were having a great day visiting different wineries. And it wasn't so much about the wine. I was only 15, but uh, there was a little bit of sampling here and there. And it was, it was more about uh, spending time with dad, but also getting to know these small winemakers of, of the smaller ones and and seeing the passion that they had for their craft. So there were some important sort of lessons in there. And uh, we'd spent this day together and we were driving back. And I can remember this vividly. And Dad had a, a white MGB, 
it's a classic sort of British car convertible. And uh, we were driving back, the, the, the roof was down, everything was great. And then out of nowhere, he started to feel some chest pain. Mm. And I could see on his face that he was in some pain and sort of grimacing and had inquired and, and, and asked him if he was okay. And he put on a very brave face and said, you know, he, he thought it was something minor and it would go away. And so we proceeded to go home. We were staying the night in, in our country house and uh, went home and prepared dinner and we had dinner together. And I remember inquiring uh, again to check that he was okay. Mm. And he reassured me it was nothing. So really at this stage, I thought he's fine. And so I, I went off to bed and a little, little time went past maybe an hour or so. And I was woken to quite some noise in the kitchen. And in the back of my mind, I'd, I'd remembered uh, that he had said he was experiencing some chest pain. So I went out to see what was happening. And when I went out, this was, this was now at a stage where he could no longer deny what was happening. And it was written on his face. I could see it. Uh, it was the first time that I'd ever looked at my dad and seen fear in, in his eyes. And he was also very pale and he was out of breath. And so he was clearly in need of some medical assistance and he was actually making his way to call triple zero, which is 911 in, in Australia. And, uh, he, he actually had the paramedic, uh, on, on the other end of the line. And they said, is there someone else there that can help explain what's happening? Now I was the only person there with him. So that was me. Mm. And I was, you know, quickly explaining what was happening, what had happened a few hours earlier. And they said, well, based on the, the location of your home and the nearest hospital, we need to send a helicopter. Mm. And so they did, and the helicopter arrived very, very quickly. Uh, they, they rushed in. They scooped him up off the floor, put him on a stretcher. They hooked him up to a heart rate monitor, to oxygen, checking all of his vital signs. And... I think I should pause here just to to emphasize something. My dad was only 41 when oh, this was wow. happening. Mm. And and he had no medical uh, illnesses. He, he had no prior diagnoses. He didn't have uh, high blood pressure or diagnosed high cholesterol. He wasn't on any medications. He was not reliant on the medical system at all. So this was very... So he was, he was considered... Healthy, healthy, fit, healthy, uh, somewhat. Yeah. So, like in terms of if, weightlifting, just like a normal fit, fit person. Absolutely. So, if you kind of looked around at young Australian fathers, he was he was forty one. He had two two boys. One I was fifteen, and my brother was seventeen. He was representative of what a young Australian father looked like, and 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 lived the same lifestyle. He wasn't. Uh, significantly overweight he exercised three four times a week he ate what he thought was the healthy diet 
uh, you know, he, he, he drank a little bit of alcohol, but he wasn't a binge drinker. Uh, he was very representative of the average young Australian father, which is the scary part. Yeah. And, and so none of us saw this coming. You know, it wasn't like we, we had some indication that, okay, dad's a bit of a ticking time bomb. Yeah. And so they, they, they took him into the helicopter and I couldn't fit in the helicopter. There wasn't enough space. So they said, uh, you can follow with some paramedics in an ambulance on the road and, and we'll meet you at the hospital. And so by that time, I'd called my, my mother and my brother who were in the city and said, this is what's happened. You should probably come to the hospital pretty quickly. And they did. And there, there was a very long period there of uncertainty. Uh, we, we really had, we had no idea if he was going to survive. We were aware that something significant was taking place, uh, significant enough to require a helicopter. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we were aware how quickly things had turned for him. So, um, after some time, their doctor, who I believe would have been the cardiologist, came out and said, your dad has had a very serious heart attack. Uh, but lucky, luckily, we got there early enough and we were able to save his life. Mm -hmm. uh, he'll be on medications for the remainder of his life, but he will have a second chance. And so that was what we were really you know, most concerned by and was most important to us at the time. The next day, the that that doctor sort of did a bit of a uh, a team meeting with our family mm. to to uh, you know after Dad had the acuteness of the situation had had sort of been behind us and put behind him in particular, sat down as a family and said, "Hey, look, I've taken your dad's history and his dad's history, and and my my grandfather he'd also had a heart attack, mm. and." So the, the cardiologist said to my brother and I, and, and as I said earlier, my brother was 17, I was 15. So we were nearly young adults. And he said, you know, based on your family history and, and because we know cardiovascular disease runs in families, you too will need to be screened as you, you get older. Uh, and that in itself is not bad advice. It's actually pretty good advice, but the problem that I have with it now when I look back on it is I wish we had more time. I wish we had more time to have a, a, a broader conversation that also spoke to what else is important mm. to do. And so having the conversation left there made me think, well, it's my genetic fate mm. to end up with cardiovascular disease and I've been dealt bad genes. Mm. And, and so... For many years, I just went about continuing to live my life, and as did my father, uh, pretty much the same way, but now on various medications, uh, which would help control his cholesterol and his blood pressure. And it wasn't until I was in my my mid twenties where I was then inspired to to go and study nutrition, and I did a master's in nutrition and. I, how did that come about? How, how did you decide on? Was that because you said it was seeded on your dad's experience? Was that still the the seed there, or you you were like, how did you get influenced saying, okay, I have to think about, or like, oh, I wanna I wanna study nutrition. 
Yeah, it. I've always been interested in food, mm. but it wasn't. I'd never connected really the power of food from a disease point of view. My my experience with food. When my first degree I did was physiotherapy, and I was working as a physiotherapist with uh, AFL footballers, which is the mm. professional football league in Australia, and. That was a remarkable experience for me. I was thrown in working with these elite players, uh, but I was in this environment and it's a, it's a lad environment. And also outside of that, I was in the sort of gym culture and all of the nutrition information that I was getting was kind of bro science. It was, it was informed by, by fitness culture and it was very simplified. It was it was an obsession with protein, yeah. with uh, animal protein, and to be frank, when I was in the AFL system and working with these players, I I could sense that there was a lack of information in the clubs to really guide these players because they were all given the exact same advice. I saw sponsorships from all of the the various protein, uh, the the way the way the dairy protein companies, uh, and and I just felt I felt incapable myself, and it wasn't my role. I wasn't a nutritionist at that stage. Yeah. But but it highlighted to me something that I would love to know more about. Mm. If you know, firstly for myself, but then also so that as a as a professional working with athletes, how can I better help them? What, so, were some, what were some of the things back then that you would like now, like, oh my God, like how, what was some of the, some of, you know, some of the, the, the conventional wisdom because Chris and me were both tennis players. We played college tennis in, in the U S and obviously in, in our little college playing tennis, nutrition was not a big part. We, we always had this conventional wisdom, right? Protein after the matches, Uh, heavy pasta dish before before the mattress kind of this and i remember this weird <laughs> chocolate protein drinks that we got from our fitness coach and i like i look at them now and i'm like how did we ever drink right this? so that this was the crazy. conventional wisdom we we yeah. would um we would go before the match because we're like hey we need to eat something we would say okay let's go to subway because it's the least the least of the worst of the the fast mm. food and we would always cramp up and we're all like Oh, we didn't hydrate enough. We didn't hydrate enough. With but, Tassani uh, water? With Tassani water, which was <laughs> empty water. But um, what was some of the conventional wisdom? You were like, oh my God, we, I, need to, I need to get deeper in that. Yeah, it's funny that you say that about Subway because I was, I was the same and I would ask them to put you know, extra turkey, extra ham, just yeah. like really load the protein up in there. Uh, but the conventional wisdom similar to what you just described. And I think that's, that's quite similar across sports, across the world in, in that, uh, have, have your pasta and carb load before, uh, a big, a big game through the week. It was really about two main things, calories and protein. There was no emphasis on the type of plants in the diet and fiber and the importance of diversity. Uh, it was, it was centered around protein. And and post post games, particularly in Australia, there is a, a a real culture for red meat consumption. We consume just about as much red meat per person as anywhere in the world, mm. up there, right on par with with America, uh, which which is concerning. And when you when you go into these sporting environments, I actually think that's higher 
Mm. I think that there are a number of people in Australia who consume much less. And then within these, the, the younger sort of gym culture and sporting um, environments, people are consuming a lot more and the average comes down to, to the level that it's at. Mm. So uh, it's a, it is looking back on it. There are some concerning aspects to, to nutrition, I believe still that exist in that, in that environment. And, uh, you know, it was enough for me at the time. I really didn't, I didn't realize the power of nutrition from a chronic disease point of view and longevity at that time, but it was enough to inspire me to want to go and study more. Mm-hmm. And, and as soon as I started studying and, uh, going right into the science and and I was having to go into the science at, at, a, at a level that was much deeper than what my course was offering. Uh, but I should have said, stated earlier, my dad, ironically, and you'll find this very, very ironic. He has, he is a primary researcher. He's a scientist, a professor. Mm. He's been studying uh, arteries, arterial health, as a risk factor for cardiovascular disease and type two diabetes for 30 plus years. Mm. And so I have been surrounded by science from as early as I can remember when I can think back to when I was about five years old and there'd be piles and piles of studies, many that he was writing or that he was reading and reviewing. Uh, And so I've always had this deep appreciation for science and the scientific method. Mm. And and as I was going through my master's in nutrition, long story short, what I really was able to see was that cardiovascular disease, yes, it runs in families. And, and yes, we can be dealt bad genes, but by and large, cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, various types of cancers are running in families because families are adopting the same lifestyles. Mm-hmm. And, and as soon as I saw just how much more control we have than what our genes have, I became very, very empowered. Mm. And it gave me a, a whole sense of control. And I just leapt straight into that uh, initially because I really wanted to improve my lifestyle, but also my close friends and family. And then uh, beyond that, it gave me, you know, great reason to to go out and and set up everything that I that I have done to date, and and ultimately write my book. Mm. Nice. Do you do you remember like one or two studies that you read and that like completely blew your mind? Where you're like, yes, like plant based eating, like that's that's where it's at. I think the one of the the sort of linchpins, one of the central areas of science that became very clear to me was the the causal link. What I believe is now a causal link between high cholesterol and cardiovascular disease, atherosclerosis, particularly. And so, it's not one particular study, but there are there are uh, what we call meta analyses, which which uh, pull together the results from many, many different types of uh, or many different studies. And it's very, very clear that the higher your LDL cholesterol is and the longer that you are exposed to that being high, the higher risk you have of developing atherosclerosis, which is in lay terms, the clogging of an artery. 
mm. right? And and this is not this is not good for our hearts. It's not good for our brains. It can cause us to have a heart attack. It, it can lead to a stroke. And these these are a heart attack is the number one cause of death in most Western populations and around the world. So when when I, when that relationship became very clear to me, the next question is well. How does diet influence cholesterol? Mm. And 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 so the first part, I guess, uh, the the two different types of studies. The first study I would refer to is is just understanding that relationship between cholesterol and the clogging of the arteries. And then the second study is looking at diet and dietary interventions and populations. And it is stunningly clear that when you are adopting a diet that is built on fruits and vegetables and legumes and whole grains nuts and seeds you are you are doing the best thing that you can do for your cholesterol levels from a dietary point of view and and why is that often people think well why why do those foods tend to lead to a more favorable cholesterol level and the reason is twofold it's what you're not eating which is the abundance of saturated fats that come in animal products and in ultra-processed foods uh, that really drive our LDL cholesterol up, which is the the sort of the, the quote-unquote bad uh, cholesterol. Uh, and you're also reducing your exposure to trans fats, which are in uh, ultra-processed foods as well, usually that drive up cholesterol. But you're also adding something in that's really, really important for driving cholesterol down, and that is fiber. Mm. And so you get this beautiful twofold effect of what you're not having that that would be driving cholesterol up, what you're adding in that's driving cholesterol down, and it is very protective. And that's why we see in large meta-analyses, large studies looking at people f- over over a long period of time that vegetarians, uh, vegans, even pescatarians who may have a little bit of animal products but a lot of plants have much lower risk of cardiovascular disease. And when you found this out, right, for us, we watched, we had it on a podcast, we watched Forks Over Knives because uh, because I was I had cancer when I was 24 um, and had this sort of has very personal experience and coming out of, uh, chemotherapy saying, okay, I never want to get sick again and started researching why people get sick in the world, right? And and realizing, hey, people get cancer and, and other uh, chronic diseases, right? Because not only, but because also their lifestyle and their diet, right? Yeah. And, and then I was empowered too. Similar to that. I was empowered to say, okay, I never want to, if I want to reduce my risk, why wouldn't I do that? I'm empowered to do that right now and I can do it. So and Crystal was like, Crystal was in my life already. She's like, hey, watch Forks Over Knives. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I'm curious, how, how was that transition for you? Yeah. Because I can imagine, right? I mean, probably a lot of people around you, if you just start, you know, eating one base, I mean, like, how, how was it experience? And how, what were your reactions? Was it easy? Like, how, how was that? So just being very honest, I had very mixed emotions about this information I was finding. <laughs> I, I... I found this information that was telling me to eat in a way that was drastically opposed to to what I felt was a healthy diet. It was drastically opposed to what my friends were doing. It was drastically opposed to what fitness magazines were telling people to do. So I was very challenged by this information. 
And, and I had this internal dialogue of, well, I can eat this way and, and not end up like my dad who had a heart attack at 41, or I can just ignore that information. <laughs> Let's pretend I didn't see that and just keep going down the, the track that I'm going. And, and so, uh, you know, for me, it was a little different to, to your experience because I, I hadn't experienced poor health myself. I'd seen my father, but I hadn't experienced it myself. And I think when someone experiences poor health themselves, there's, there's an added layer of motivation, right? To, to, to really, to get inspired, to make those changes. Now, for me, I, I had all of these fears around, okay, if I start shifting in that direction, what's going to happen to my performance athletically in the gym and my performance endeavors, uh, am I going to be sacrificing my, my athletic endeavors now for this long-term health benefit? And so I had to, to then, and I said to myself, I wasn't prepared to do that. I needed to know if science showed that you could just eat kale and you'd live till 140, that wasn't going to be enough for me. Because A, I knew that I wouldn't enjoy the food every day. <laughs> and B, I knew that that would impact my performance. So I had to slowly work through uh, a lot of information, like the questions on, on, on protein that, that always pop up. And, uh, and once I had enough information to, to realize that I could actually get all of the nutrition that I needed, that my body needed, and and perhaps take a, a B12 supplement if I ever landed on a completely plant-exclusive diet. Because at this stage, I really didn't have an end goal. It was about just shifting in this direction. And, and so I got to the point where I thought, well, there's enough information out there for me to see that I can do this and and continue to feel really good today and if not improve my performance and and so i thought well i'll start to make small changes and i'll just see how my body responds okay this is the information that's out there and this is in studies and that's great but i want to see how how do how do i respond to to these changes and i just started thinking about what the the easiest changes would be for me to make that i could stick to and and so I look. I really looked at at sort of animal product by animal product, and uh, and at the same time increasing the the number of plants in my diet because my diet was not diverse. I probably ate three different types of plants, and they were broccoli, sweet potato, and white potato, and <laughs> yeah. And there'll be a few a few doctors. Uh, uh, rolling their eyes at that one. Uh, and, but that's pretty typical in the kind of gym, uh, football culture, broccoli and sweet potato are, are very popular. And, and so I, I was, I cut down on red meat to start with, and I was eating more chicken fish and had added in some legumes. And I really, the legumes for me were eating them you know, as a, as an actual main part of a meal was very new. You know, sometimes I would have legumes maybe if I was at a Mexican restaurant in dip or something. Uh, so I, I was making these changes and to, to be honest, the immediate 
feeling that I got in terms of my digestion was telling me that this was right for me. And what I mean by that is I was noticing I wasn't feeling so sluggish after my meals. Mm. It felt like my, my digestion was much more effortless. Mm. And, and if I was prior to that, if I was having a big, big steak with my friends, I would always feel very fatigued and very tired afterwards. Like I needed a nap. Mm. And, and so that was, that was something that really stuck out to me. Uh, and so I, I kept making these changes and, uh, I was feeling great. My energy levels were feeling great. And over a, a six to nine month period, I had completely transitioned my diet from that sort of very standard fitness gym culture, Australian diet to a, a completely, uh, plant exclusive, uh, whole food plant-based diet, uh, and had noticed, by that stage, I'd noticed that my my training volume, I was able to actually increase my sessions both through length and the frequency of those sessions through the week. So I was getting very good signals back to to myself saying, this is this is working really well. And I think your process is so relatable because going from one day to another, right? It's, it's just daunting for a lot of people and also not really practical because we're all busy, right? We're, we're living our lives, but, but looking at different, you know, looking at different ways, how could cut something out, like right? alternatives mm -hmm. in and, and then feel the difference. We, we feel like that is kind of the, the, the fantastic thing that you're going to feel a difference. You're going to feel a difference in your energy levels. And then you automatically want to do more of it, with more of it, right. And cut more of the other things out mm -hmm. and, And I feel like that journey is so relatable. Um, if you could do it again, what were some, some tips uh, for people who are just listening to you say, oh, I can maybe do that. That sounds, sounds better than okay. going more black and white. Um, Simon uh, did six, nine months. What, what should I do? Well, you just mentioned something that's really important, and that is the, the feeling that you get. What you just described then is, is sort of the reward, the satisfaction. And when we feel better after we do a, a new action, we, if we're trying to build a new habit and it makes us feel better, we're much likely to continue repeating that until it goes from uh, a conscious, uh, sorry, a, a very conscious to an unconscious habit, which is what we're aiming to do, right? And so reward and satisfaction, I think, is really important. And another aspect of that is flavor. Mm -hmm. So early on, I, pro I probably didn't have my herb and my spice and my condiment game yeah. down pat. And, and sometimes I was introducing tofu or tempeh or even beans, and I wasn't doing a whole lot with them. And I'd forgotten that if I was prior to that cooking chicken, often you would marinate chicken, right? You would, you would create some sort of marinade. Maybe it's like some soy sauce with some spices and you, a lot of people will do that, cut the chicken up and put it in the fridge even for a few hours. Yeah. And so if you didn't do that and you just cooked chicken on its own and, and ate it with nothing else, it would be pretty bland. Yeah. And, and, and when I was transitioning, I kind of didn't think about that. And I think that's quite common. And yeah. so I was cooking up the tofu and the tempeh, not giving it any sort of love. And, and, you know, 
I, I'm, I'm a very, I have a very strong willpower and I was able to get through that, but I know for some people they, they can, they can have that experience and then just be completely turned off that food and think, well, tofu is not for me. Well, I mean, the great thing about tofu is not only from a nutritional point of view, does it, does it pack a really big punch, but it's like a sponge. So you can, you can really get it to soak up flavor. So that would be my first thing that I would say is, uh, I would go back and, and I would stock up my pantry with herbs and spices and, uh, nutritional yeast and tamari and, you know, a bunch of different things that can add flavor to, to my food. Uh, what else would I do? Great, to, great nuggets because that's what we, we always talk oh, about. Yeah. It's so important. Like, I mean, a salad doesn't taste that special, but you have a good dressing and your salad is amazing. You want more and more and more. So it's, it's really about just finding those flavors you really love. And I also always tell people, you don't need to create a new recipe every single day. We even see that with smoothies. Mm. Right? People feel like need to try something else, something else. It's like, once you find like a mm. couple dressings, couple smoothies you love, just stick with that. Maybe try something else sometimes, but it's also create to start creating those routines and just know in the beginning, it's, a, it's about finding those new things you love. That takes a little bit of time. Yeah. I think that is a great point is that often we, I speak to people now and they, 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 they get so overwhelmed by the idea of changing their diet because when you jump on social media or you see the number of cookbooks, you think about, oh, I've got to learn so much. But in reality, most of us, no matter what diet we're, we're eating, we do have the sort of five or six go-to staples that we just repeat. And, and so when you bring it back, all do it. when you bring it back to that, then, then it, it, it makes it so much less overwhelming because hang on, you only need to learn four, five, six dishes here. Maybe focus on one a week or one every two weeks, and in not too long, you're going to have a really good repertoire of some new dishes to work into your diet. So, I think that's a a, a great point. Something that one other thing I'll add that I probably would go back and do a little better is, I think so at home in my own environment, it was very easy for me to control my food, mm-hmm. but when I was stepping out. And if I was at the football club uh, or I was out with my friends uh, somewhere, it's, it gets a little harder when you're trying to change uh, your, your diet. And, and so I probably a little earlier would have started to cook extra at dinner and have some, like, some sort of bulk or mini bulk preparation where you have some leftovers in a container. You can just throw them in your bag. And then that way, when I was at the football club, I would have had something that I could pull out and, and eat without having to, to sort of uh, get the club to, to cater for me in that early stage where it can be a little bit awkward talking to people about the way that you're changing your diet and why you're changing it. So that's probably something else I would have gone back and had a look at. That's a great tip. I remember so many times I was so hungry at one point, right? Because you couldn't, you couldn't eat anything. And, and, uh, and then it gets hard, right? I think if you, if you a little bit more preparation and, and prep or getting that bar or anything that you put in your, on your, yeah, in your back to, to have. Even some fresh fruits. You know, fresh, so many, oh, so apple, many, so 
banana. I usually now go everywhere with bananas. Um, <laughs> so at least I have a banana handy. Um, let's talk a little bit about your book. Um, also, um, sure. Chris, you want to, you want to, um, dive in there a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I actually want to go somewhere else, but oh, I'll go, go no, we'll go there okay. after. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, what was really the goal of your book? Like how, where did like, I mean, you, you had your journey and, and what was really, what do you want people to really know when they're reading the book and why should you be reading it? Okay. Two, two things. One is I saw what loss of health looks like when, when I saw what happened with my dad and I explained that earlier and I, I really want as many people as possible to look at changing their diet before that happens to them or someone in their family mm-hmm. and, and to, to realize how much control they have and to, to understand that although the media and online, it can seem very confusing, it can seem like nobody understands what to eat at times, right? When you, when you actually get away from that and you look objectively at the science, it is stunningly clear how humans should be eating. While maybe it's not completely black and white where we can say uh, one diet is categorically the best, there is a very, very clear overarching theme. And that theme is, and we've touched on some of these points, is a diet that's low in saturated fats, it's low in trans fats, it's low in ultra-processed foods, which is really important. It's rich in fiber and it's rich in plant protein. And naturally, that ends up being these very plant-predominant or plant-exclusive dietary patterns. Mm. And, and so I want people to understand how we've arrived at that, where, what science speaks to that. And, and then I also think it's very important to understand how our food choices affect the world around us mm. and becoming more and more increasingly important. And, and this was something that I actually didn't arrive at until some years after I had changed the way I was eating, uh, but it really reinforced what I was doing. Uh, and what I mean by this is our food is not just affecting our health. It is affecting the planet. It's affecting climate change. It's affecting biodiversity. It's affecting our freshwater scarcity. So many other other aspects of, of our life that are actually interconnected with us as well. And and so and we are as only uh, as healthy as our environment is. Uh, so I want to with the book. I wanted to give everyone this information and for people to connect with it and then be inspired to make the changes that feel right for them based on their circumstances. Mm -hmm. And they will nudge towards whatever sort of level of commitment is right for them. I think, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in meeting people where they are and all of us would rather inspire people to make life lasting changes rather than changes that they just do for two weeks. So, uh, that's, that's a big component, but then also I feel that within the whole food plant-based or sort of plant predominant community that's already out there, there, I wanted to bring information that helps people that are already there. They've already made those changes to their diet. Uh, 
helps them further optimize the way that they're eating to get even better results. And so uh, the book is a mix of the science behind why it's important to eat this way for your health and for all life on the planet. But then also once you've kind of arrived at that point, what does that look like from a practical sense? How can we, how can we really refine it for best results? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's all needed. Um, I'm excited to, for, for it to come out in, in the US um, because I think we're, we're, even that community needs more information and meeting people where they are is something so close to what we're trying to do too with our community and people listening and, and even starting with one meal a day, right? Starting mm-hmm. with one breakfast, they're changing to a green smoothie in the morning. Um, you see huge differences in people. Yeah. Um, where I wanted to dive into shortly is, is your stance on uh, a diet and weight loss, because I saw some things and I think it's, I think it's interesting. And, uh, also wrote, saw you wrote veto keto, which I'm, uh, couldn't agree with more. Um, but really what is your philosophy on there? Right. Because we, we just see that there's still, I mean, you, you, you look at the data and just how many people any given time are on a diet, right. For really this long-term change. Like, I think it's just so interesting still that that culture that is still so much there. Yeah. I'm not sure what piece you saw me write on, on diet, but I think, uh, in the book, I, 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 I talk about the word diet because that word has been sort of very stigmatized, right? And I think it's how we use the word. And, and, and what I mean by that is if we're thinking about diet as a verb, as, as a doing word, then that, that speaks more to the way that the weight loss industry has 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 taken the word diet and almost rebranded it. But in its original definition, back to Greek Latin roots, the word diet was a noun, and and it was actually describing a way of living, a way of habitually living. So, I think it's I think I don't have a problem with the word. I think it's how you use the word that probably matters most. I think certainly most of us would agree this idea of dieting and yo-yo dieting and hopping on, hopping off is probably uh, not the healthiest way of, of going about it. And, and, and what we're more wanting to achieve is, is life-lasting changes to someone's lifestyle, the foods that they are habitually eating over time. I'm not sure if I answered your question there. Uh, and then, is that what you wanted? Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, couldn't agree more. I think that that diet culture is such a doing culture instead of okay, how rather lifestyle. That's why we're like, hey, let's let's change our lifestyle because with this mm. this this word is so loaded, right? We have to actually even use another word saying actually you're eating lifestyle basically because the word is so loaded. Mm. And, and in terms of because you said it's, it's so confusing for people and. And people always, or a lot of people talk about, oh, keto is the best diet if you work out, as you, you are shredding, you, uh, it's, it's so good for you. Like, what would you tell them? What would tell you some of your clients too? I've got some great, some great stuff for you. So I've just come off of two weeks of going through all of the science exactly on this. And I just did a... Uh, quite a long podcast with Professor Christopher Gardner from Stanford University. 
and he is arguably the the best person in the world to talk about exactly this because he has now studied for uh, the better part of two decades looking at the difference between low carbohydrate diets and high carbohydrate diets for weight loss mm. and uh, he ran a study called the A to Z study back in 2007, uh, which compared four different diets. The, one of these was the Atkins diet. So it was also the Ornish diet was in there, uh, a learn and zone. Uh, and there was no significant difference in weight loss between the Atkins and the Ornish diet in that study. What they did note in that study was the uh, the cholesterol levels of those doing the low carbohydrate diet did go up a small amount but that was a very small study what what was really interesting was in 2018 he ran one of the biggest randomized controlled trials uh that's ever been performed from a dietary intervention point of view over 600 people 12 month study looking at low carb versus high carb mm. and what Dr. Gardner is really good at doing is making sure that the, the diets that the subjects are adopting are high quality. So in a lot of the studies that are out there, when they're looking at macronutrient ratios, they could be eating anything. Yeah. And, so, and so invariably what happens is the low-carb crowd says, well, that's not how I eat. That's not a high-quality, low-carb diet. He, he, he actually had dietitians. Uh, working with all the subjects and and going into the study because of the prior study, they they really had they really didn't uh, have any indication as to which would be the better diet for weight loss. So they really just wanted the dietitians to get the subjects to adopt whatever diet they were randomized to, low carb or high carb, as best as possible. All whole foods, lots and fruits and vegetables, etc. And in the in the low carb keto community, there are people that are proclaiming this is a magic diet for weight loss. It increases satiety. It burns fat. You would have heard of those claims, right? So this is a twelve month study. What happens at the end of end of the year? There's no difference between the groups in terms of weight loss, mm. and th- so. It's, it's actually stunningly clear now that the actual ratio of macronutrients is not the deciding factor in weight loss. What was really interesting in his study, which has now been, this has been seen in many studies, is that within each group, within each group, whether you were on low carb or high carb, some people did really well and some people did really poorly. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't explained by genetics. It wasn't explained by things like insulin resistance. Uh, and so they, the science still needs to be conducted to work out why is it that some people do well and some people do poorly on different macronutrient uh, ratios, uh, but it may have something to do with satiety mm-hmm. and, and hunger regulation in, in different people. Uh, but the, the, the bottom line, I think the takeaway point here is that low-carb diets do not have any sort of magic fat-burning advantage overall compared to a high carb diet and we know particularly when they're full of animal products Mm -hmm. they are problematic from a cardiovascular disease risk point of view because they're driving your ldl cholesterol up so if these studies are showing essentially that it is a bit of a wash 
and that there's no significant benefit for weight loss, my argument is why not choose the dietary pattern that is associated with better health outcomes outside of weight loss? We're talking cardiovascular disease, we're talking type 2 diabetes, we're talking about longevity. Uh, And so I think where I've landed on all of this is I, I don't know that the macronutrient ratio is as important as we have perhaps stated previously. I think the diet needs to have predominant calories coming from plants. Now, within that, some people might be do, might do a little better with higher fats from plants. Some people might do a little better with higher carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, people with the, the the culture we see also is people are so afraid of carbohydrates, right? And and um, you're saying, hey, there shouldn't be, right? Depending on what carbohydrates they're eating also right i just want to say right it's it's there it really comes down to also like a carbohydrate from a whole food is very different than a carbohydrate (laughs) from food. it's like you cannot compare the two yeah yeah i say i say in the book we have to stop uh blaming black beans for the problems caused by jelly beans (laughs) and uh it's you know, it's 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 really clear that consuming fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, which are sources of of carbohydrates, mm-hmm. are associated with great health outcomes. Yeah. And 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 bottom line, that's what we should be concerned with most. I hundred percent agree. I I think it's also right. Like I often talk about the redefining health, right? Where health was so often just as focused on weight loss, how you look, and I think health should be way more about how you feel, do you have the energy you want to have? And I think that's, that should be prioritized always. Um, we have to start rounding up a little bit. We, can, <laughs> we definitely need a follow-up. We just that's got clear. started. <laughs> uh, I have a personal question, uh, uh, Simon, because um, you look incredibly fit and I want to know what you're eating like to look like this. And I, I can't Today? Even- Today, maybe, yeah, just give, give our, our community a little glimpse on uh, how can you stay so strong and, mm. and fit? Um, okay. How does it look like in terms of, um, because yeah. morning for you, what, what are the rituals? What are, what are you doing? So for me, I, maybe I'll start with my training, uh, which is, I guess, this, the, the stimulus for uh, building strength and lean muscle. Uh, without that, it's very hard to, to do that. Uh, I do a mixture of of strength training, both low intensity and then some more high intensity sort of functional, you know, heart rate ups, strength work. Um, and I, I do a little bit of, uh, running, uh, just, just to, to keep the cardiovascular fitness up. Uh, and then the, the nutrition component for me is a diet. My, my diet is completely plant exclusive. I would say 80 to 90% of that on a good week is, is whole food or minimally processed foods. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Things, things sneak in there. The, the odd ice cream sandwich or something. Uh, but, uh, predominantly my, my, my focus with my diet is on, on whole food, but I do focus in on the amount of protein that I am consuming. And, that's something that I focus on because of what my goals are with with strength and building lean muscle, uh, and I do that 
informed by the science, which shows that if you're consuming around 1.6 grams of protein per kilogram, which is a high amount, is optimal for muscle protein synthesis. So if there are athletes listening Mm -hmm. that that might be interested in in that, uh, that is the level of protein consumption that has been consistently shown to maximally trigger muscle protein synthesis uh, and strength improvements. The great thing is you can reach that on a completely plant-exclusive diet. I do it every single day. And and we have studies, great studies now, uh, showing that plant ex- when you do that uh, through plants alone compared to an omnivorous diet and you're doing strength training, the results are the same. There was a, a great study that came out a few months ago. Uh, so my diet is, I'm getting most of that protein from beans, from legumes, from chickpeas, from lentils, from tofu, from seitan, from legume pasta. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those types of foods are pretty much in every meal, but then surrounding them is loads of dark leafy greens, obsessed with those now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to make them taste good though. Yeah. So, um, you know, lo- lots of, lots of herbs and spices in the meal, uh, some lemon juice over the greens as well. That makes them taste a bit better. Uh, there's whole grains. So, uh, quinoa, brown rice, wild rice, they're all getting a bit of a healthy rotation and, and oats. So oats are another great one that I'll often have for breakfast. What else? Fruit, lots of smoothies. So for me, I think one of the great things about a whole food plant-based diet is that you it keeps you full on on less calories often because of the high amounts of fiber uh but if if your goal is to put on some size build muscle that can make it a little bit more challenging to get enough calories in which is is an advantage i think in the food environment that we live in and and the current state of health uh but it it just means you might have to focus a little more on some calorie dense meals. So for me, smoothies have always been a really good go-to for getting a lot of nutrition, a lot of calories in. And and so I'll do big smoothies with frozen bananas, frozen blueberries, some superfood powders and pro- and some plant protein and some nuts and seeds. And, uh, you know, that, that will help me reach the the amount of calories that I need to consume in a day. And then in periods where I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight, I might cut down on those a bit. And um, rapid fire. Rapid, no, I only want to one ask more. one more question. Yeah. Where can people find more about you? What, what's what's uh, on your agenda? Obviously, we're going to link up the books coming out. Um, you have an incredible podcast, obviously, but what, where can people find more of you? Where should they go to, to hear more from you? Yeah, if they're not sick of my voice already, they can come and uh, join in on the Plant Proof podcast. We'd love to have you over there. Uh, and, and on social, on Instagram, I'm most active, which is at plant underscore proof. Mm. Oh. And we'll link everything up. Um, we have one more thing. We have a little rapid fire. Okay. In the end. Uh, <laughs> And then we'll um, then we'll close it up. Um, what's your favorite plant milk? Soy. 
Uh, favorite cheat food? Ice cream sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite book or documentary about health? Fiber fueled. What was it? Fiber fueled. Fiber fueled. Okay. I don't know that one. That's by uh, Dr. Will Bolsowitz, who's a, a good friend of mine. Amazing. Oh. Um, favorite workout? Chest. Actually, I'm going to take that back. It used to be. Now it's definitely legs. Okay. It's a um, big leg day, yeah. <laughs> I never leave the house without? My, my coffee cup. Mm. Um, when I get hangry, I eat? Banana. Mm, me too. <laughs> 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 that's it that was all uh, for today awesome Diamond, thank right. you for, for joining us on the podcast um, thank you guys yeah. I loved it great, great questions when, uh, when your book is coming out or we'll do an Instagram or we'll do an Instagram live yeah we'll definitely do something uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure cool I'll actually be in LA from September so nice. yeah awesome maybe we can catch up yeah, yeah. we'll just catch up and, and go eat uh, eat a drink smoothie we're great yeah <laughs> beautiful yeah, that was great all right thank you so much have a fantastic day thank you guys you too appreciate Thanks. you Thanks. bye <laughs>